So to dive into the topic, Alhamdulillah, Wassalatu Wassalamu Ala Rasulillah Wa Ala Alihi Wa Sahbihi Wa Nwala What we have been doing is discussing 10 different principles regarding purification of the soul And Alhamdulillah, so far we have discussed three of them The first of which was that Tawheed, establishing the oneness of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is the foundation in which souls are purified And secondly uh, we talked about dua, how dua is the, key, is the key to purification of the soul. And thirdly, we talked about how the Noble Qur'an is the source of purification of the souls. What we want to do today, inshallah ta'ala, the fourth principle, and the, which we started last time, or two weeks ago, and inshallah ta'ala we'll finish this principle today, is that part of purification of the soul is taking the Prophet sallallahu as an example and a role model. So this is the fourth principle that we briefly started and it's important for us to understand obviously I'm sure all of us here know what a role model is right someone that we look up to somebody that we try to embody the same characteristics and traits that they have we try to emulate them in every single manner in the way that they speak in the way that they dress in the way that they move every single thing we try to when we have a role model we try to emulate that person and we try to follow that person and so what better role model can we have besides the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? And he was someone who was sent, as we mentioned that the ayat of Qur'an that we mentioned a few weeks ago, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا That indeed contained within the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the best of examples. And we'll talk about this ayah a bit more. But just think about the impact that he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had on his society, on the entire world. How he that one of his, even one of his nicknames is Al-Mahi, that one, the one who erased or removed shirk, that removed all of these different evil acts that were happening at the time in which he was sent. And something even more to show this is how even non-Muslims, they acknowledge and they understand the influence of the Prophet I'm sure many of us, we have you know, either read or seen the book, it's called The, Hundred, the, the One Hundred. It's written by Michael Hart. It talks about the list of the most, influential the most influential people in the history of the world. And who do you think number one was? Muhammad Prophet Muhammad Because think about the impact that he had on the entire world. And especially given that he was only a prophet for 23 years of his life. And think about what he did. How he removed the different evil acts that were happening. Before he was there, before he وسلم, was a messenger, and before he brought the message of Islam to his people, think about all the different evil acts that they were involved in. And some of those things we can't even say publicly because of how vile and atrocious they are. Of they were killing their own daughters, burying them alive. Of, you know, they were constantly drunk, they were worshipping idols. And when the Prophet ﷺ came, he removed all of these things from their society. And we are blessed to be from his ummah And so when we talk about him, there's so many different you know, as many of the other topics that we have already talked about, this itself is a very heavy topic. It's something that we can talk about him وسلم, for days. You know, there are conferences, there are entire books, lecture series, you know, dedicated to the Messenger So for us to just, you know, talk about him within an hour or less, it's not enough, it's not doing it justice. But we'll try our best, inshallah ta'ala, to hit a few points that we can all take home with us and benefit, inshallah. First and foremost, we want to talk about why it's important that when we say the name of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that we say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that may the peace and blessings of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala be upon him. 
Because sometimes when we are in gatherings or when we are, you know, in discussions with others and we are saying the name of the Messenger وسلم, amongst ourselves, we often we forget to say this. And we should remember that the Prophet وسلم, he told us that the true miser, the one who is miserly and the one who is stingy, is the one who when my name is mentioned, that he does not sense salawat upon me. And so let us remember this and any time that we mention the name of the Prophet وسلم, that we say sallallahu alaihi wasallam even whether it's out loud or whether it's under our breath and we should also know that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he told us that when a person when they don't say the salawat upon the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam then he said that they have missed a path to jannah they have missed a path to paradise so you saying sallallahu alaihi wasallam could be a means for you to enter jannah could be a means for you to have good deeds that are heavy on your scale and so, don't overlook this and don't think of it lightly that it's just the name of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa You should say with love sallallahu alayhi wa And this is something that we'll talk about more, building that love, developing that love for the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa Now, what are some benefits of sending salam upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi We'll touch on a few inshaAllah. First and foremost is that when a person, when they send salam upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa they are fulfilling a commandment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we know in Surah Al-Ahzab, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us that indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His angels, they send blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا O you who believe, send blessings upon Him, صَلُّوا عَلَيْ and so by doing so, you are immediately, you are immediately sending, you are immediately fulfilling a commandment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. Yeah, it's just a static song. There you go. <clears throat> so this is the first benefit. The first benefit of sending salawat upon the Prophet is knowing that when we do so, we are fulfilling a commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, when we send salam upon the Prophet وسلم, we should know and understand that this is a means for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send blessings upon us. As in the famous hadith, we know that مَنْ صَلَّ عَلَيَّ صَلَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ مَنْ صَلَّ عَلَيَّ وَاحِدَةً صَلَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ عَشْرًا That the Prophet وسلم, he said that whosoever sends blessings upon me once, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send blessings upon him tenfold. And so what better way, what easier way for us to receive blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That, you know, this verse that we just mentioned, something that we encourage to do, a verse that we hear every single Friday, every single Jum'ah, when we're listening to the khatib, when we're listening to the imam, we hear this verse. And so what more motivation do we need besides knowing that we're fulfilling a commandment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And while doing so, we're receiving good deeds and we're receiving blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. Just but through the simple phrase, and this very simple phrase, but yet it is very heavy. And thirdly, we should know and understand that by sending salam upon the Prophet that we are drawing and attaining closeness to the Prophet As he mentioned وسلم, he said in a hadith narrated by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud anhu, that the Messenger وسلم, said that the closest of people to me, to me on the day of Qiyamah, on the day of resurrection, will be those who sent the most blessings upon me. And this is Imam Nawi, in his commentary of this hadith, he says that those 
or who are closest to him means those who are most worthy of his intercession, which we will all be in need of on that day. So this was the third point, attaining closeness to the Prophet And fourthly, we should know that this is a means and a way for our du'as to get answered. When we talked about du'a as one of the principles a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, we understood and we realized that making when we make du'a that we should include sending salam upon the Prophet That we should start our du'a by, by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sending salam upon the Prophet and then by asking for whatever we may need and whatever we are calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. And in a famous hadith from Ubayy bin Ka'ab in which he was speaking to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa and he said that, Ya Rasulullah, I love to send salam upon you. And so he said that in my du'as, how much, how much should I send salam upon you? And he said that, should I send one-fourth, should I, should I make one-fourth of my du'a consist of salam upon you, O Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he responded and he said, yes, this will be good, but do more. Do more if you can, it will be, more, it will be better for you. And he said, he said, Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu, he said, okay, how about half? Half of my du'a I'll spend doing salam and salawat upon you. And he said, yes, this is good, but if you can, do more. And it will be beneficial for you. And he said, how about two-thirds? And the Messenger sallallahu responded in the same manner. And then he said, how about if I dedicate my entire du'a towards sending salam upon you, O Messenger sallallahu And the Messenger sallallahu he said that this is a, is a way for you to have all your needs answered and your needs fulfilled and for you to be forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are just four simple benefits, four easy benefits for us to remember of how virtuous and how beneficial it is for us to send salawat upon the Prophet And this is one of the means, one of the ways, and because we're talking about purification of the soul. When a person is doing this, when a person is constantly remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and constantly sending salam upon the Prophet their heart is going to be inclined towards obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Your heart is not going to be inclined towards falling towards any sin or committing any evil acts or falling towards any evil acts that your heart may normally incline towards. But this is something that if you make your tongue moist with, you make your tongue moist with the remembrance of Allah and sending salam upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and you set yourself a daily goal, something that becomes easy for you. And then once you hit that goal, that you, that you continue and you continue sending salam upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi that is one of the ways in which that we will attain purification of the soul. Now, when it comes back to taking the Prophet as a role model, and in order for us to do so, in order for us to take the Prophet as a role model, and to obey his commandments, to understand and to take his sunnah and implement it into our life, we must know, one, who he is, and we must have love for him because you can only obey somebody, you can only follow somebody if you truly love them. And when you truly have love for someone, you will do whatever it takes for them or whatever they have told you to do so. Think about any of the relationships that you have with your parents, with your family, with your spouses, with your children. When you love them, you will do anything that it takes to take care of their needs, to fulfill their needs, to make them happy. And so for us as believers, when we claim to love the Prophet how do we show our love for him? by following his sunnah and by following the steps that he وسلم, has left us. And knowing that these steps and following his sunnah is a means for us to purify our souls and for us to attain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because at the end, that's what we all want. We all want that closeness with Allah. We all want that love from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, that قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ They say, if you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهُ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ Then follow me, meaning the messenger, following the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, يَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ As a result, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love you وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ And He will forgive you of your sins. And so by following the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this is one way, this is one way or one means of attaining the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and gaining closeness to Him. And we should know and understand that when we talk about the ayah that we referenced in the very beginning, taking the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a role model, Indeed, contained within the Prophet is the best of examples, the best of role models. And know that this is referring to the character of the Prophet And how he, even before he was a prophet, he was known as a man of good character. He was known as the Sadiq and Amin, the one who is trustworthy, the one who is honest. The relationship that he had with the people around him and how he وسلم, he had such good character with even his enemies. He had good character with his family, with those who accepted Islam, with those who never accepted Islam. He, nothing, he always constantly showed them good character, and showed them kindness, showed them compassion, and showed them mercy. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he speaks about the Prophet وسلم, in the Quran. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ That we have not sent you except as a mercy to, the, to all of mankind. And so think about all the different ways in which the Prophet ﷺ, he was a prophet who embodied these traits and us as people who tried our best to emulate the Prophet ﷺ, we should also try to take these traits and implement them into our life. And look at the many different stories, many different examples of how the Prophet ﷺ, he showed and embody these different characteristics. The characteristics of empathy, of mercy, of, sh of showing forgiveness to others. And we don't have time to, to go into it into depth. But one quick example, I'm sure we all know the story of how the Prophet when he went to Ta'if, and when he tried to send them and give them the message of Islam, and, and give them and, 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 and preach to them and have them accept the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how they ridiculed him. And how when they saw that, they listened to his message, they said that you, you are the one who is messenger. You are the one who is coming with this message. And how he, after 10 days of preaching to them, that not even a single person accepted Islam. And they decided that we are so tired of hearing from him, that we want to drive him out of the town. And what did they do? Is that they, they threw stones at him. At him and Zayd who was with him. And they literally drove him out of the city by throwing stones at him. So much so that he وسلم, his sandals were soaked in blood because of how much he was hit. And so we know, and just to keep it short, that when he made that famous dua, that when he was sitting in there, when he was sitting on the outskirts of the town and he, and he made this famous dua, and then Jibreel came to him and said that, Oh Rasulullah, if you give me your permission, then I will have this town destroyed. I will have this entire city and its people destroyed. And look at how merciful and how forgiving the Prophet ﷺ was. He said that even if not a single one of them accepted this message and accepted Islam, then perhaps maybe just one of them, one of their progeny, maybe their children or the people who come after them, 
maybe they will accept Islam. And maybe they will be people who accept the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he didn't give Jibreel permission to destroy the city. Even though he had the, the, the chance to. He had full authority in this scenario to do so. Imagine how you would treat somebody if they stoned you, if they, if they threw stones at you, if you were bleeding, your worst enemy. Think about how you would treat your worst enemy. And you had the chance to send a punishment upon them. Think about how you would treat them. And so this is how he sallallahu alayhi wa was. This is an, just a small example of how he sallallahu alayhi wa was truly the prophet of mercy. And so having this quality of mercy, having this quality of forgiveness, this quality of empathy is something that we all should try our best to strive to have and implement into our own life. And by learning about the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa by studying his life, by studying his seerah, right? This is one of the ways in which we learn about him and we attain closeness to him and that we build this love for Rasulullah Because this is something nowadays many of us were lacking. We don't have this love for Rasulullah We say we love him, but our actions, they don't fall in line with the actions of the Prophet The way that we move, the way that we talk, the way that we interact with people, it's nothing, it doesn't resemble anything of the character of the Prophet And so by studying his life, by knowing the sacrifices that he put forth, by knowing how much struggles that he went through, we can understand just a small amount. If we can bring that into our life, then this is a way for us to build that love for Rasulullah Now, what are the benefits, and to keep it short again, what are the benefits of loving the Prophet What outcome do we get from loving the Prophet And we'll share four of them, inshaAllah. And then Muhammad inshallah ta'ala will share an instance from the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that inshallah ta'ala will stick with all of us. The first benefit of loving the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is that a person, they cannot attain completeness of iman until they have the love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in their hearts and that the love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is more loving than the love for anything else, for anybody and anything else. So know that the first benefit is that the completeness of a person's iman cannot be attained or cannot be achieved until the love of the Prophet Muhammad is in the hearts of us and it outweighs the love of everything else. And this comes from a hadith of the Prophet in which he said that none of you will attain true Iman, will truly believe until I am more beloved to him than himself, his own children, and all of the people. And so know that you, if you want to attain the completeness of Iman, to have true Iman, that you have to put the love of Rasulullah first and foremost, before the love for anybody and anything else. Because nowadays our hearts think about what we're attached to. Think about the different people that we follow, whether it's via social media or the celebrities and the athletes that our hearts were inclined to. That look what this person is wearing. Look what this person is up to nowadays. That's what our hearts are inclined to. That's what our hearts are geared towards. We Often we don't think about following or emulating the Prophet And so bringing that love for him is a means of us attaining Iman. And something that the Sahaba that they understood and they implemented themselves. Like how Umar radiallahu anhu one time he was with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he told him that Ya Rasulullah that I love you more than anybody and anything else except for myself. 
And so Rasulullah told him that, Ya Umar, this is not, it's not enough. And so this, the state of the Sahaba, they were such that when they heard something, that they immediately implemented it. And so then he said that, Ya Rasulullah, now I have the love for you more than I love my own self. And then Rasulullah said, He said, now, meaning now, as in now you have attained the completeness of Iman. That once you love the Messenger of Allah more than you love yourself, your own family, and anything else, this is a means and a way for you to attain the sweetness and the completeness of Iman. Secondly, a second benefit of loving the Prophet is that loving him is a means for us to taste the sweetness of our worship, to taste the sweetness of our ibadah, and to understand the struggles that he went through in worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how he, the most perfect person to walk on the earth, how he, even when he would stand in the night prayer, his feet would swell up. And Aisha radiallahu anha would tell him that you have been forgiven. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven you. What else do you need? That you are, the, you are the prophet sent to mankind. And what was his response? He said that should I not be a grateful servant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So think about how he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he endured so much. And how he went through so much struggle. And how he even said himself, That I have placed the coolness of my eyes in, in, in prayer, in as-salah. And that should make us approach, that should make the way that we approach our own salah, you know, different. The way that we approach our own salah is such that we think that we are guaranteed our next prayer. We don't even know if we'll make it to Fajr tomorrow. But the way that we just prayed our Isha is a way in which we were probably thinking about different items. We probably were not even thinking about what we were reciting. We probably were not even thinking about the meaning of what we were reading. We probably... We're thinking of so many, probably even sometimes we lose track of how many rak'ahs we prayed. This shows us that we are, we are truly lacking in one of the most fundamental parts of our deen, of our religion, our salah. But look at how the Prophet how much he struggled. And when you see that, and when you build that love for him it's a way and a means for you to love the worship, the acts of worship that you are doing. The du'as that you make, that making the same du'as that the Prophet did following the same ibadah that the Messenger did, following his sunnah, in terms of fasting, in terms of even visiting, when many of the brothers, when they go for Hajj and Umrah, understanding you know, the historical significance and how the struggles and how heavy the struggles were of the Prophet So this is second, that loving the Prophet is a way and a means for you to attain sweetness in, uh, in your worship. Thirdly, a benefit of Loving the Prophet is that you will be with the Prophet in the hereafter. And that you will be raised with him. And we know from a hadith of the Prophet, a man once once approached him and said that Ya Rasulullah, when is the last day? He was he was inquiring about when Yawm Qiyamah was. He said that Ya Rasulullah, when is the last day? And the Prophet responded to him with a question and he said that what have you done to prepare for this day? And this man, he responded that I have done nothing except I have love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa looked at the beautiful manner in which he responded that you will be with those whom you love. And we know this from a famous hadith, al-mar'u ma'a man uhab, or, or uh, in, in another narration, that anta ma'a man that you will be with those whom you love. And so by attaining love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa you will be with him in the hereafter, you will be with him in the Akhirah. And so what, what more could we ask for? 
who else would we want to be with on this on this, on this day and, and in the hereafter? And so this is the third benefit, knowing that loving the Rasulullah is a way and a means for us to be with him. And lastly, the last benefit that we'll share is that it is a means to enter Jannah and to be in the highest levels of Jannah. And we take this from a hadith of the Messenger وسلم, in which a man, a sahabi, a companion of the Prophet وسلم, by the name of Thawban he came to the Prophet وسلم, and he was visibly distraught and he was crying and he was emotional and he was shaken up. And he, he came in this state to Rasulullah and he was crying. And Rasulullah he asked him that what was the matter? And this Sahabi, this companion, he responded and he said that, Ya Rasulullah, that when we are with you, you know, we feel this completeness of Iman. But when we are not with you, you know, we become sad. And we know and we, and we feel that in the Akhirah, when we get to Jannah, if we even make it there, that you are the Messenger of Allah وسلم, that you will be levels above us, that we will not be with you. That how can we be with you, that you are the Messenger of Allah وسلم. And so this is something that made him sad. Which, which shows him how much love he had for Rasulullah in the first place. For this to be such a concern, that he is in such a state where he is crying, where he is so emotional, that he comes to the Prophet of Allah and he brings this concern to him. That he is thinking about the Akhirah, he is thinking about Jannah. And he says that I'm scared that I will not be with you there. And so Rasulullah in a beautiful manner, he tells him the verse, that whosoever obeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّيِّينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ وَحَسُنَ أُولَٰئِكَ رَفِيقًا That those who love Allah, who obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam they will be those, they will be raised up with those in the company of those who are blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the prophets, the truthful ones, the martyrs وَحَسُنَ أُولَٰئِكَ رَفِيقًا What an honorable company. And so for us to understand this, that we have to bring this reality into our, into our lives. Know that this world is temporary. That we are all working towards that akhirah. That we all want to be with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But are our, our, our actions in line with how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam lived his life? And think about it, think about it yourself. And try your best of, to even understand how much of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam you even know. Do you understand his life? Have you read about his life? And so that, that should be motivation for us to learn about him, to study his seerah, to read a book, to listen to a lecture, to know this Qur'an was that we read every single day, this, this salah that we do every single day, that this was something that was revealed to the Prophet Why was it revealed? What was the context of it being revealed? These different verses that speak about the struggles of the Prophet What were these struggles exactly? What was he going through? How can I understand these struggles? and know the different struggles that he went through. Losing so many of his children, of his own family members, some of them not even accepting Islam, and despite all of this, how he showed good character. That should be motivation for us to implement that good character, to try our best to follow his sunnah, to know who he وسلم, was, and to build that love for him. And so inshallah ta'ala, this was just a brief intro into knowing and understanding who he وسلم, was, the prophet of mercy, the prophet of showing forgiveness and empathy to others and knowing and understanding the importance of why it is so important to love him and to follow his footsteps.
We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us and to make us amongst those who follow the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi wa barakatuh. Inshallah ta'ala Muhammad will continue with an instance and uh, incident from the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa
why the knowledge is sought. It's not, it's, the knowledge is not sought with the essence of the knowledge. It's sought so that it is what? Applied. So how many people are actually benefiting? So I'm going to ask a question. We went over this last week. I don't know if you know what we went over last week in review. Real quick. The four conditions of Muhammad Last week we spoke about the four conditions of saying Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. The ones where you guys recall this. We went over four conditions that you must come with when you come with this testification of I bear witness that Muhammad Sallallahu is the Messenger of Allah. And these are foundational principles. Everyone must come with this as a Muslim. And it is from your truth and the claim that you are claiming that I follow the Prophet. Who will cause them? I, wallahi, this whole topic, the fourth, taking the Prophet as a, as a role model, it is of no benefit of anyone in this room if you do not remember those four conditions. Huh? The ones I remember, one, uh, the most important ones is following the sunnah, like the practices and like the authentic hadith. So okay, okay. We worded it a little this is correct. We worded it a little bit different. He said following the sunnah is one of the four conditions. We said something more comprehensive, more specific. Hold on. Refraining from everything is prohibited. So one of the four is refraining from everything is prohibited. If you don't have them down, write them down now. Tayyip? The first of these conditions is refraining from everything he has prohibited, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What is the second one? He's not in order, there's no specific word. There's just four. Refraining from everything is prohibited. Abtab. Uh, believing everything that he came with. Believing and being certain in everything he's informed us of. <clears throat> everything he's informed us of, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from news of the past and news of the future, you must believe it. Whether it meets your intellect or not. <coughs> from him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he spoke, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the hadith is authentic. From him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you <coughs> must be certain in it and believe it. Okay, that's number two. Um, it was anything that's not what he said or after his lifetime is not. That if it steers us away from the straight path, we shouldn't follow it. Very good. Okay, طيب. طيب. toward that, and you, uh, you were on the track, Zayn was on the track, Abdul was on the track. Tayyib. The third of these is one does not worship Allah except in a way that falls in the legislation that God is the Prophet And we brought logical proof on why this is the only way. And we brought proof from the Quran and Sunnah to show that what worship must come in accordance to his way, the one who taught us Islam. Right? You have a teacher who's teaching you a subject. Right? If you are learning from this person and you want to be successful, you follow their way. Right? You follow their way. Prophet best of men to walk, best of men to apply Islam. Logically, it doesn't make sense to, to do something he didn't do. Or to walk a path he didn't walk. Right? When it comes to worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And the ahadith and the ayat that we brought last week. The best three. What is the fourth one? Ahadith. Obeying him and everything he's commanded. So these four. Number one, obeying him and everything he's commanded. Two, believing and being certain in everything he's informed us of. Three, refraining from everything he has prohibited, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Four, not worshipping Allah except in a way that comes in accordance to his guidance, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If you do not know these, know them now. Write them down. It's important. Right? And last week, this is not just coming from the mouth of Muhammad right here, the one in front of you. That is coming from my mouth. Everything we brought, a proof and evidence. The proof of evidence and why the Muslim must come with these four. Any questions regarding that?
Everything's clear. Okay. From the greatest topics and from the greatest things that cleanse the soul. And from the things that put the souls in a state of in a state of adversity or a state of struggle or a state of stress or anxiety or distress. Is being in a state of a calamity. Being in a hardship. Going through a hardship. Going through a calamity. Right? And the calamities are many. Many of us have went through some. Right? And we will go through some until we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? These are from the things that have the greatest impact on the state of the soul. Right? And of course from purifying the soul is gaining the tools and skills that one can carry in order to be able to what? Bear and cope with these calamities. No one's saying the more, the better a Muslim you become, the calamities wash away. Rather, the calamities increase, right? So from the method, from the benefits of purifying the soul and cleansing the soul and go over, going over these fundamental topics, right? Is having the tools and skills, right? To be able to cope with and bear the times of calamity and hardship. Does that make sense, right? That is what all the prophets had. Any of the prophets not go through calamity and hardship? What about the people who followed them? The imma, the imams, the sahaba, the scholars. How many stories of scholars do we know with bits and pieces from them where they went through severe oppression and transgression and poverty, whatever it may be. And it's, it's so shocking to the point where we're in what a state of awe. Like how can this even happen? How would I react if I was in their shoes? This is, this is what happens when you take a step towards iman. Right? But these people are still somewhat what's happy. Tranquility, right? No stress, no anxiety. From the happiest people walking. Why? They had the tools to go ahead and walk through the bumps on the road. The road to Allah. The road to Allah is one. And on this one road, there's a bunch of bumps. Right? A lot of hardship and a lot of adversity. It only makes sense. The end of the road is eternal bliss. Eternal bliss. So it only makes sense you get tried and tested. Right? Why? As we would say probably survival of the fittest. Who is what? Who is actually fit and built for Jannah? Who is built for Jannah? That's this life. A bunch of tests. And we're going to put these tests. لِيَبَلُوَكُمْ لِيَبَلُوَكُمْ The one who created life and death for one reason. So that he tests you all and see which amongst you have the best of actions. Survival of the who, who is fit for Jannah. Because it's not for anyone who is impure. May Allah make us from the pure ones. This Quran is a guidance. Allah doesn't say believers. It is a guidance for whom? Those who are fit for it, those who are prepared for it, those who have the what? The heart and the capacity for it. So only it will be a guidance for you, and a soothing time for you, and a benefit for you, and a cure for you, and a mercy for you, if you have went through the tests and the trials and the struggle of cleansing that heart that is supposed to hold it. And you're fit for the Quran. You're fit for the speech of Allah. Right? So calamities, hardship, right? From the greatest tools to have and things to understand when you go through trial and calamity is understanding 
what is actually the greatest calamity to befall the Ummah Muhammad From his time up until now, up until the Day of Judgment, there is one instance that fell. And this instance that fell in the Ummah Muhammad is the greatest calamity that this Ummah and anyone who is a part of this nation will ever overcome and will ever encounter. And this instance, my beloved brothers and sisters, is the instance of the death of the Prophet It is from the greatest calamities to fall in this Ummah. And one will not truly understand how big of a calamity this was until they know the Messenger step one. They know the Messenger And when you take the time and the sincerity to approach the seer and the the biography of the Prophet you have no choice but to have a heart that levitates toward him. Truly, come with an open heart and take the time out of your life to learn about him And I promise you, Wallahi, you have no choice. You, it will be doing it on its own. That you will be levitating towards being attracted and attached to this man And that attachment is only going to lead to you loving him. And you loving him is going to grow so much that you love him more than yourself. And it's going to grow so much that you love him more than your own father and mother. And when we all grow, have offspring. May Allah grant us that. That's when you will understand how big of a calamity his death was. We're going to summarize it as best as possible. Because there's many lessons extracted out of this instance, right? And it's a very heavy subject, Wallahi. It is a very, very, very heavy subject. But we will summarize it to the best of the ability. And we ask Allah to pardon us for not giving this topic. Like we always say, it's right. I mean, the death of the Prophet, first of all, why is it a calamity? Like I said, it's one thing to have points and why is a calamity, logical points and why it's a calamity, which we'll list. But again, it's not like actually feeling it. And that feeling takes time, right? So inshallah, this is a motivation for us to learn about him, sallallahu Why is it a calamity? One, from the things that make it a calamity is that he was our intermediary between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the first thing, why is it a calamity? He was, was between us and Allah. How else do we learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How else do we learn about what is with Allah? How else do we learn about what pleases Allah? How else do we learn about what displeases Allah? It was through him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? And when he passed away, revelation went cut. And if we also understood how valuable this Quran was, and we see how the companions reacted when they realized he passed away, you will understand, if you understand how valuable this Quran is, knowing that he passed away, and knowing that revelation, the speech of Allah, that whenever something came down, it was a guidance for everybody. Whenever something came down, it brought light to their lives. And his death marked what? Revelation was cut. Khalas. There's no more revelation. And they knew he was the final messenger. So they knew there was no more revelation to touch this earth until the day of judgment. That was the final thing coming down. Right? So he was who was between us and learning about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's number one. Two, he was a means in uplifting ignorance and misguidance in this ummah, in this nation, all over the world. He came sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Prophet was sent to perfect morality, 
and every form of oppression and transgression that befell this earth and was came we, we came across from his time before his time today in this day and age and we will come across he came he was sent he said in the hadith i was sent i was chosen by allah to uplift oppression to uplift transgression to uplift ignorance and misguidance and to bring forth light guidance mercy morality etiquette manners and the likes right so that is the second reason why it is a calamity that his death was a calamity three him being alive at his time was a means for the kuffar of that time and the villages and the nations of that time to not to not encounter a severe punishment like the nations before encountered when you read the stories of the prophets of the past and what happened to their nations who disobeyed them what kind of punishments did they have What kind of punishments? Major storms. Storms. Their cities were leveled. Their cities were leveled. Their lineage was cut. Allah destroyed them. And you read like the story of Lot, right? The story of Hud, the story of Nuh, right? The story of Bani Israel. Reading the stories of these people and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punished their people. Did the Kufar of Quraysh receive a punishment like this? Was there a punishment that came down in this earth? That was similar to any of these punishments? No. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not punish them. These are the people who were oppressing the Prophet and killing him, kicked him out of his own village. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And we will not punish him as long as you are amongst them. His presence was a means for major punishments to not befall. This is how much Allah valued him This is the shatan and the status he had with Allah above the seven heavens subhanahu wa ta'ala This is how beloved he was That just from his presence that these people were for those arrogant people to walk Allah says we will not put this punishment on this earth And of course he will be saved from the punishment He will not be punished But due to him being present that this punishment, he, he didn't even want the Prophet to witness it. It's how beloved he was to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? These are from just the things that show to us the calamity of him leaving and parting from this worldly life. And going into the topic, coming towards the end of his life, there were many signs and instances that we see through the seerah that gave an indication, first and foremost to the companions, and an indication to those reading the seal, that hey, his life is coming up. His life is coming to an end. Many instances. From these instances is that his final Ramadan, who knows what year the final Ramadan was the Prophet witnessed. Ninth, he said ninth Hijrah. What do you think? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good answer, brother. The 10th year after the Hijrah of the Prophet, a, the 22nd year after he received the Prophethood. So the 10th year after the Hijrah, the 22nd year after he received the Prophethood, is the last Ramadan he encountered. Okay? And during this last Ramadan, what was known to be from the adat, from the norm of the Prophet during Ramadan, is that the last 10 nights he would dedicate them for what? He's staying in the masjid, leaving off his house, leaving off his family, and staying in the masjid and just strictly doing ibadah. Right? 
right? That final Ramadan he encountered, it went from 10 nights to the last 20 nights, right? Something that was outside of his norm, right? Almost 10 Ramadans or nine Ramadans he encountered, sallallahu alayhi wa Every year he was consistent on 10 days, last 10 days. This final year was what? The last 20 days, right? Also, it is also known that the Prophet ﷺ used to review the Qur'an with Jibreel ﷺ every year one time. Complete it with Jibreel ﷺ one time. This final year, this 10th year, he did it twice. He reviewed the Jibreel ﷺ twice. These are all things what, so people are not lost, these are all things that indicated that what? His time was coming up. Right? His time was coming up ﷺ. From the things that indicated his death was his speech, the things he would say, the kind of advice he would give, right? And there are many narrations, right, of the kind of advice he would give. And even after his death, when they started to compile the ahadith, the companions, right, they used to label from the ahadith, khutbatul wada'ah, the, the farewell sermon, hajjatul wada'ah, when he had encountered his final hajj. They called it what? The farewell hajj of Prophet right? And they didn't call this due to it in, on the timeline being close to his death periodically. They called this due to what the instances that were occurring at these times. The speech he was using, the advice he was giving From the advice he was giving in Hajj al-Wada'ah, and that, that, that tenth year of Hijrah was his, the Hajj that he made. Right? The Hajj that he made. And he was uttering this speech a lot to his companions during the Hajj. First ten days of the Hijjah. Right? So he's saying, خُذُوا عَنِّي مَنَاسِكَكُمْ خُذُوا عَنِّي مَنَاسِكَكُمْ خُذُوا عَنِّي مَنَاسِكَكُمْ He said, take from me the ritual of Hajj. Hajj A, in other words, as the companion said, pay attention to how I'm performing the Hajj. Pay attention because there's not going to be another Hajj for me. Pay attention to how I'm doing the pilgrimage. Pay attention to how I'm doing the Hajj. This is what it means. A lot of the ulama use this term as an indication to show the importance of following the Sunnah, which is correct, right? But the, oh, the reason why, the, the significance of this speech was him indicating that, hey, pay attention, because I'm leaving after this. There's not going to be another time where you'll be able to learn from me this, in this specific act of worship. Take from me the ritual, pay attention. Then he continues and says, وَإِنِّي لَا أَدْرِي لَعَلِّي لَا أَلْقَاكُمْ بَعْدَ عَامِ هَذَا and he said, and I am not sure if I will see you guys a following year after this, this year that I am in with you guys right now. Kept on uttering. These are from the things that what indicated the closest to the death of the Prophet From the things that also indicated the closest of his death, right, is the revelation of one of the only surahs in the last five set of the Qur'an that is considered to be a Medini surah. That is considered to be a surah that was revealed after the Hijrah. As you know, majority of the surahs from Surah Qaf down are surahs revealed in Mecca, a lot of them. Right, specifically the last two set surahs revealed in Mecca, right? But there was from, from amongst a few surahs that were revealed in Medina, in this portion of the Qur'an, one of them was revealed, and it was known to be the last complete surah revealed. Anyone know what the surah is? Surah Al-Nasr. Allah says in the Quran, When the victory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes down for the believers, when the fetch and the opening of Mecca occurs, right? That happened, right? 
the victory came down, the believers were victorious. Mecca opened again for the believers after 10 plus years. Another indication, and you see the people entering the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abundantly. Another indication, the believers see victory, Mecca is opened, and you see the people entering Islam abundantly. The numbers of the Muslims are increasing. What is Allah saying to him? When you see this, Ya Rasulullah, glorify your Lord abundantly. And seek repentance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a lot. Verily, He is what? The one that forgives all. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. The apparency of the surah is what? The Allah saying, what? Hey, you're going to see victory to the believers. Mecca is going to open. Everyone's going to enter Islam. So due to this, just increase in dhikr. That's what a majority of the companions understood. Because that's what it says from the apparent value, right? Ibn Abbas, age of 12. He was brought into the majlis, the gathering of the major companions. Abu Bakr, Umar, Ali, Uthman. These major what? Mountains. Who are the most knowledgeable companions to what? Told all Ibn Abbas is in this gathering. Umar drags them into the gathering. Everyone's giving their opinion on this surah. What does it mean? Everyone's mentioning what I just mentioned. The face value of the surah. Umar al-Khattab asked Ibn Abbas, what do you think? Ibn Abbas mentions and he says, this surah is an indication that the life of the Prophet is coming to an end. Why? The Prophet was sent for one reason. And that was to spread Islam. And that was to give victory to the believers. And that was for this message to spread from east to west. And once this happened, khalas. His, the, the reason for the process of being around is coming to an end. Khalas. The duty is over. What was requested to be done has been completed. Khalas. Meaning what does Ibn Abbas said? His time is coming to an end. He understood this in the best. And really this is what it was. He passed away months later, sallallahu alayhi wa Going into, now we, we talked about the final hajj, which is the 10th year of the hijjah. The 10th year, which is the month of, in the month of Dhul-Hijjah. On the 13th day, on the 13th day of Dhul-Hijjah, he traveled immediately back to Medina. And little did he know, sallallahu alayhi wa that this was his final time being in Mecca. His final time being in his homeland, sallallahu alayhi wa He made the trip back to Medina, and there is where his soul was taken, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That is where his soul was taken, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he reaches back to Medina. <coughs> he visited, he, he does a couple of things. This is about two, three months before his death, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He reaches to Medina, completes the hijjah there. Right? Whilst he is there, he visits the martyrs of Uhud. The people who fought in the battle of Uhud, right? And they were killed, right? Who were from the closest people to Prophet ﷺ that passed away in Uhud? Anyone know? I know you know. Who's Hamza? His uncle. Hamza. Hamza ibn, ibn who is the father of Hamza? Huh? Huh? Abdul Muttalib. Hamza is also the brother of whom? Abbas. Al-Abbas, another uncle of the Prophet who was also Hamza, the brother of? Who's Abdullah? The Prophet Right? Right? And the only two uncles of the Prophet is narrated that he had about 10 uncles coming from Abdul Muttalib. The only two that accepted Islam were Al-Abbas and Hamza. 
and Hamza, Hamza radiallahu anhu, and from those who were buried where? Uhud. From the martyrs of what? Uhud. So he goes to Uhud, and he prays upon Uhud. He already prayed upon them before. Why is he doing this? Another indication of what? Is a farewell. Khalas. Right? This is his final time visiting Uhud. He prays upon Uhud. Right? And then when he prays upon Uhud, he returns back to the member, his, his member, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? And where is his member? In Masjid al-Nabawi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? And he rises the member. And what's special about this member is that before this member, he used to give his sermon somewhere else. Who knows? On a tree branch. There's a tree branch in the place of that member that he used to give his khutbah on. Look, look at how even the hadith, Allah, the Prophet mentions that the animals, the animals used to have love for the Prophet This tree branch had love for the Prophet A story to mention, and this is also, you see how, the, how much he affected the whole world, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He affected the whole, he touched the whole world, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Right? He used to give a khutbah on the tree branch, insignificant. Right? One week, they decided to build what the pulpit, the member. Right? Which is something like this. They built the pulpit where he would rise and give the khutbah sallallahu Right? So the week after the pulpit was built, the member was built, he gives a khutbah. That's his first khutbah, first time giving a khutbah on the member. While in the middle of the khutbah, they hear a severe weeping. A severe weeping during the khutbah. So they look behind him and the weeping is coming from what? The tree branch. Now he's giving khutbah. The weeping did not stop until the Prophet ﷺ took his blessed hand and placed it on the tree until the weeping of the tree started to decrease, decrease, decrease as if it was a little baby that cries at random times and it does not stop crying until what? The mother or the father, what? Comfort the baby. Just simply carry the baby, and the baby, what stops weeping? This was the state of that tree. So the Prophet ﷺ gets on this member. And he says another thing that indicates the closest to his death. Inni faratukum wa inni shahidun alaykum wa inni wallah ma akhafu an tushriku ba'di walakinni akhafu alaykum an tanafasu fiha ay fi dunya. The Prophet says, he rises the member after he prayed on Uhud for his final time. Right? He rises the member and he says, I am, sir, I am preceding you. This is I am preceding you. And what is meant by preceding you? A, I'm returning to Allah before you. I am preceding you, and my time is coming up. So this was a what? A verbatim indication that his time was coming to an end. I am the one that will testify for you on the day of judgment. I have been sent as a shaheed. I was given the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those who neglect the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, on that day, the messengers will be test, will testify for their nations who used to be lied the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And on the day of judgment, I will testify against you or for you on the day of judgment. And by Allah, I do not fear that you will return back to polytheism after me. And polytheism did occur after his death. But this was not his fear. This is not what he was fearing. And he was not belittling the polytheism, as many people say. 
He's not doing the apologies, but he was mentioning something that seemed, from apparent value, a lot more minute. And people would degrade how severe it is and how it will create corruption within the Muslim Ummah. Then he says, but verily, I fear for you the dunya. And that you busy yourself with what? The dunya. The beauty of the dunya will what? Will busy you. Look at the advice of the Prophet. Look, pay every, we're going to bring a couple more advices all the way up to his final moment, Look at what kind of words he's using. Look at what he's leaving with his companions. Look at what he's leaving with the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I don't fear polytheism because you guys know how severe that is already. Rather, I fear that the dunya will be opened up for you guys and due to it being opened up, it will busy you guys from my remembrance. It will blind you. Did it happen to the ummah? It happened to the ummah. What, are we, what state are we in today? All over the Muslim world. What state are we in? Why are we busy? Why is there corruption? Why are countries fighting one another? Why are countries fighting each other? Why? Because of dunya. Why is there oppression? What? Why is there transgression? Because of what? Dunya. What's busy them from reality? Dunya. May Allah protect us. And uplift the oppression of the Ummah. And uplift the oppression and the transgression going on in the Muslim lands. I mean, they pay attention to advices. Well, there's not really that much to be writing down. Pay attention. Right? If you feel something's important, write it down. Okay? But pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to advices, the consistent advice we're going to be bringing up. So here's warning about the dunya, right? And this is from the things that show his Prophet He spoke about something that occurred, that would have occurred after him and it did. The dunya busied us and it brought corruption Now we'll go into the month of Safar. The month of Safar, right? And early on in that month, the Prophet visits Al-Baqiyah. Who knows what's Al-Baqiyah? Al-Baqiyah is that graveyard of any of you guys that visit Medina. It's the graveyard right by the Masjid. It's the graveyard right by the Masjid. Right? So you visit Al-Baqiyah. You pray Janazah. And he says, Assalamu alaikum ya ahl al-diyal. This is where we get the dua of saying the, uh, when you enter the graveyard, whenever we go. Assalamu alaikum ya ahl al-diyal. He said, peace be upon you, the people of the graves. <coughs> right? And he says, by Allah, winna insha'Allah bikum. And verily by Allah, we are to join you one day. Right? These are his final words. Pay attention to his words. One day we will be there. We will be in the place that you are. This is him visiting Baqiyah. Right? He's giving his farewell to the people, the most, the most beloved people to him. Those who fought with him, those who sacrificed their lives, their wealth, their families for this religion of Islam. This is how much this is to show the proof. How much they loved him, and look how beloved they were to him. He's giving farewell to dead people, to people who have passed away. Right? This is how beloved they were. So he gives his farewell to Al Baqiyah. Going, zooming on, fasting forward to the end of Safa, the 29th of Safa, which is a Monday. Now, the 29th of Safa, which is a Monday. Right? The Prophet is going to a janazah in Al Baqiyah. Right? And on his way to this janazah, a severe headache falls him. A severe headache. A headache and a temperature that was so severe that you can feel the severity of the temperature from the imamah he was wearing. 
from the headpiece he was wearing, you could feel the severity of the temperature, right? But he fought through it. He went, prayed the janazah, and, and returned. And returned. That was a Monday. Okay, pay attention also to the time. That was a Monday. We fast forward to Wednesday. That Wednesday. And this day, the sickness of the Prophet started to increase and become, became very severe. He became very severe. And he was in a state where what he was not even aware of what he was uttering. Right? His body was in pain, his body was shivering, the temperature was, in, was at an all-time high on this Wednesday. Right? And he knew, he could feel it, that what, something not normal is happening. Right? So the first thing he's uttering on this Wednesday is, He's saying, where am I tomorrow? Who knows what he's referencing here? He says, where am I tomorrow? What is he talking about? Which house of his wives is he with tomorrow? Meaning what? This to show that he used to give all of his nine wives, sallallahu alayhi wa their rights. And deep down he knew where he wanted to be. He was in severe pain. He was at his weakest point. Who does he want to be with, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? One of the companions asked the Prophet, who is the most beloved person to you? He said, who? Aisha. Right? He's the Prophet, he could have just been like, hey, I'm going to Aisha. But look at his adl. Look at his justice. Look how he's trying to give everyone their rights. And you will see more in this instance later on. He's still trying to give his wives his rights, but he knew the one who had, he, that brought the most comfort to his heart was whom? Aisha. Who recognized this instance? He's so sick. He is tired. He is in a state he's never been in before. Right? Fatima, his daughter, realizes this. Right? She realizes this. And she says to the other wives of the Prophet, she calls them together and she says, Be gentle with my father. He's going through a severe sickness. Be gentle with him. And then she asks permission that he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, stays with who? Aisha. That Wednesday he is admitted into the house of Aisha. And he does not leave this house to any other of his wives. This is the house he remains in, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is Wednesday. Right? So the moment he enters into Aisha, Aisha sees what? His state of sickness, how he is, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So what does she do immediately? What do you think? She goes to the doctor, right? He goes grab the doctor, check up on him, someone who was an experience. Hey, no. What does she do? She lays him down, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And she begins reading al-ma'awadat on him. Look at the righteous wife. Look at the righteous spouse. Look at her iman. This is a proof of her, her iman. The first thing she went to when she saw his state of sickness, she laid him down and before doing anything else. And we'll see in moments how they took the means as well to, to try to resolve the sickness. The first thing she did was what? Ruqya. Reading on him, sallallahu alayhi wa Reading the ma'awadat. Look at the iman. Look at how she's applying. Where'd she get this from? Where'd she get this, uh, this knowledge from? Where'd she get it from? Prophet and she continues reading other supplications that she that he taught her to read when someone goes through sickness. So she reads Then he calls Aisha says, Ya Aisha, go get me seven vessels, right? And these vessels were pots made out of animal skin. Right? Go get me seven vessels of water. Right? And get the water from different wells. 
right? So she goes, grabs these seven vessels, and she returns back to her house with Sophia, the other wife of the Prophet right? And the Prophet is asking what? That they wash him, they cleanse him, they pour this water on him, right? As we say in Egypt, this is, uh, we say kamadat. Maybe the Arab in here, you know, kamadat. Kamadat what? When you fall sick, right? Our moms, especially the ones who grew up in villages, right? They would go ahead and grab towels or pieces of cloth. They would soak it in ice water, right? And they would go ahead and grab this ice water and just what? Force it on your head. And it's just so cold. The AIDS brought down the temperature for the time being, right? This is basically what they, they, were, they were getting ready to do, right? So the Prophet commands them to say, okay, pour this water on me. Bathe me in this water. So Aisha calls and requests for there to be some sort of container, almost like what we call a bathtub or something, to place him in so they can continue on, right? And cleanse him in this way. So he's in the container, they get the container from the bait, from the house of Maymun. No. Allah, one of the other wives of the Prophet. He sits in this container and they start what? Washing with the water that's placed in these vessels until he says what? Enough, enough, enough. This is enough. So they stop washing him and he says, What? I feel lighter now. What? Meaning, what? I feel better. The sickness starts to what? Become relieved upon me. So he requests from Aisha and Sophia that he goes and sits with his companions in the masjid. How far is the house of the Prophet in the masjid? How far? It's right there. His house is in the masjid, right? So he requests that he goes and gives his companions a reminder. Right? So he goes and he calls the companions, he says, gather around me, gather around me, right? All these, pay attention to the wording, pay attention to even just the signaling of the Prophet look what he's indicating, right? He gathers the companions, right? And the first thing he utters is, Right? The Prophet said the curse of Allah is upon the Jews and the Christians. Why? Because they took the graves of their prophets and they started to worship the graves of their prophets away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? This is why the curse of Allah is upon them. They started to worship other than Allah. Right? So look at the look at the, uh, the advice of the Prophet. He's what reminding them of what? Tawheed. Don't leave the oneness of Allah. No matter how much you love me, no matter how much status I have, no matter how much virtue I have. Don't fall into what they fell into. Don't fall into what they fell into. They started calling upon their prophets and worshiping their prophets away from Allah. From the last thing he's uttering is the oneness of Allah. And he says, and I, I command you guys to not take my grave as a place that is worshiped aside from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Aisha commentates on this hadith and she says, if it wasn't for this advice, if it wasn't for this advice, then we would have went crazy at his grave. That we would be absurd in this grave. Do you know how much they love him? They can't help him. And Hashar Sahaba Ya'buduna bin Dunillah. And far it is the companions from worshiping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But during this advice, they were cautious. They're cautious. Right? And then the Prophet continues. Right? And then he says to the companions, From whom amongst you that I have oppressed, that I have taken their rights, look at the Prophet, that I have taken their rights, right? Get your rights Get your rights from me now. If I've oppressed you, if I've taken your wealth, if I've done you unjustly, come get your rights now. Look at the Prophet. This is Sayyidi Wadi Adam. 
This is the greatest man to walk. This is the most beloved man to all of his companions. He does not need to say this. Look at how he is preparing for death. From the worst things you can leave this world with is what? While you're indebted. While you have debts. While you've oppressed someone. While you've taken the rights of somebody. This is the worst thing you can leave this world with. Look what he's worried about. And he is the greatest man. He's been forgiven for all of his sins. He does not need to do this. He's preparing for that day. Not only he's preparing for that day, but he's teaching us a lesson. Teaching us a lesson. Beware of the rights of others. You don't know when your time is. You do not want to leave. Or the one you oppressed, they leave. And their rights were not given back to them. May Allah protect us. So he's saying, who from amongst you did I oppress? Take their rights. Come get your rights now. So a man raises his hand, and this man says, Ya Rasulullah, you owe me three dirham. Companions are, this is strange, this is the Prophet You have the audacity to say that he owes you three dirham. What does the Prophet do? He causes him to be thrown into jail. How dare you speak to me like this? Abadan. He says, he calls Al-Fadl ibn Abbas. Al-Fadl, who is the, the brother of Ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Abbas, Right? And he's the son of Al Abbas, the other uncle of the Prophet. He calls him and says, Go get the three dirham and give it to this brother. Another man raises his hand and it is reported that it is Ukasha. Ukasha, great companion. A companion who the Prophet previously, just years ago, before this instance, testified in front of all the companions that he is from the people of Jannah. It's Ukasha. Imagine hearing that from the mouth of the one who gives revelation, that you are from the people of Jannah. What kind of Bishara Glad Tari news this is? How much do you think this man loved the Prophet? A lot. The Prophet was informing the companions about the 70,000 who enter the paradise with no reckoning, no judgment. So Akash, from his excitement and his striving, he's like, Ya Rasulullah, am I going to be from them? Can I be from them? Right? And he informs them that what? He's from them. And another companion got a little jealous. He's like, okay, he asked, I can probably get the same thing. Let me go ahead and try to ask. Right? This is about the sixth year after the Hijrah. Right? So this companion asks, and the Prophet says the famous statement where it says, Sabaqaka biya Ukasha. is preceding you in this. He, he, he took the virtue from you. He asked first. Right? This is Ukasha. Backstory of Ukasha. He raises his hand when the Prophet is asking for those who want their rights returned. He raises his hand. And he says, Ya Rasulullah, I recall a day that we were in the Ma'araka, we were in the battlefield. Right? And I don't recall if you did it intentionally or unintentionally. Right? But you hit me with your asa. You probably used to carry asa, a stick. Right? You hit me with your, with your asa. And I just happened to be unclothed. I wasn't wearing like a top. Right? I just happened to be unclothed. And that moment stuck with me. He wasn't even certain if he did it on purpose or not. Some of you may be like, what is wrong with this guy now? This guy is sick, sallallahu He's going through the, his final days. And this guy is, had the audacity to go ahead and bring this up. Who gets upset? Abu Bakr, Umar, Ali. Ali looks back to this man. And he says, are you crazy? Are you absurd? Everyone's getting upset. How dare you speak to a salah like this? How dare you have the audacity in this state to bring this up? And how insignificant it was. Wait. So Abu Bakr, Umar, and Ali both all get up. And they say, Ya Rasulullah, We will take it. Basically, this guy is asking what Qisas is taking, basically being encompassed with what the same thing that was taken from me. 
So if Ukasha got hit, what is he asking for? To hit him back, right? So they're like, we'll take the hit. Don't, don't worry about Rasulullah. We'll take the hit, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet calls Ukasha. He calls Ukasha. And he uncovers his what? His chest. Why? Because he mentioned, Ukasha mentioned, that he happened to be unclothed. He was wearing a top. Look how the Prophet is worrying about the rights of this man. And he uncovers what? His chest. And he says, Ya Bilal, go to my house from Aisha and get my stick. Get my stick from Aisha, from my house. Bilal goes and grabs the stick and brings it to the Prophet. He hands it to Ukasha. His chest is open. And he says, Get your rice from me now. Ukasha had no choice. And look what his motive was. He falls to his knees. And he starts kissing the Prophet And he says, Ya Rasulullah, how can someone, how can someone want, if, even if you oppress them, how can someone want to get the rights back from you? How can someone want to go ahead and, and treat you in, in, in any way of animosity like this? How? The motive of this, as the Mufassirin say, is what? He just wanted to get close to the Prophet and have the ability to what? Kiss him. This is what he wanted. This is what him getting his rights back. He just wanted to kiss the Prophet Look at Muhammad and me. Look at the love of the Prophet they had. Right? Then the Prophet continues. This is a mawqif. Allah. It's a great mawqif. It's a great scenario. Just look at the love that they had for this man Then the Prophet continues and then he says a famous statement. Inna Allah khayyaru abdan. Inna Allah khayyaru abdan. Bayna dunya wa ma'indah fakhtara the Prophet continues and he says, Verily Allah has chosen a servant and he's given the servant an option between the hereafter and what's in this dunya, a remaining in this dunya. And this servant chose the akhirah. As any, any Muslim wants. This is, this is known. Even the narrative, the hadith of Sayyid al-Khudri, he's like, this is known. There's a servant, Allah gave the truth to the dunya and the akhirah. And this man chose what? The akhirah. So it was nothing special, it was just normal speech. Abu Bakr starts crying, weeping. And even the near the hadith, Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, he's confused like, he's just talking about a guy that chose the akhir of the dunya. And we all want this inshallah. Abu Bakr starts weeping. Because he's the only one that knew what Sallallahu was saying. Prophet Ali was referencing himself. He was referencing himself Sallallahu and as you know, all the messengers and the prophets, they are given uh, what they are given, what? The choice of staying in the dunya or turning back to Allah. Any of them choose going, staying in the dunya. So here the Prophet is saying what? I have chosen what's with Allah. In other words, he's saying what? My time is near. That's why Abu Bakr is the only one that starts crying. And he says, فَدَيْنَاكَ بِأَرْوَاحِنَا يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ فَدَيْنَاكَ بِآبَائِنَا فَدَيْنَاكَ بِأُمَّهَاتِنَا so he says, Abu Bakr looked at the love that he had for Rasulullah sallallahu He says, Ya Rasulullah, we sacrifice our souls for you. Ya Rasulullah, we sacrifice our fathers for you. Ya Rasulullah, we sacrifice our mothers for you. Look at the love Abu Bakr had for him. And he's weeping, and he's weeping in the process. And he says, Ya, just relax. Relax, Ya Abu Bakr. Calms him down. And the Prophet says, continues and mentions, says, all of you that have done me a favor in this dunya, I have repaid you back for it. What other favor than the message of Islam? Taking the people out of the misguidance. What other favor? This is sufficient. Every one of you that have done me a favor, 
I have given you your, I have returned the favor back to you, except Abu Bakr. Except Abu Bakr. And he will not get repaid here, Allah will repay him back in the Akhirah. The man who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Jibreel to come down to the Prophet and say, Allah loves this man. Tell Abu Bakr that Allah loves him. The man who was given revelation, Allah Prophet was given revelation that this man will enter through all eight doors of the Jannah. All eight doors of the Jannah is Abu Bakr. And this man gave duty to Islam that the Prophet couldn't even repay himself. This is Wallahi. If I were to take someone as a best friend, it would have been Abu Bakr. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken me as what? As a best friend. Well, what better companion than the companion of Allah? So he had to sacrifice the, the, being the, the khulla. And khulla is not just being a best friend. It is being a friend of somebody with immense love. And he, sat, he only had to choose other than the companion of Abu Bakr anh, because Allah took him as a khalas. He will be repaid back in the akhirah. And Abu Bakr. Another thing that shows the, the, the fadl of Abu Bakr Look, look, look at the eloquence of the speech that Allah has chosen, given this man between Akhirah and Dunya He chose the Akhirah This is an instance and we are days away from his what? His death Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam We are days away from his death That was what day? Anyone remember? That was Wednesday Now we are what? Thursday Right? The Prophet is ill Right? But he's still leading the companions in Salat. The last prayer he leads is Salat al-Maghrib on that day. And he recites Surat al-Mursalat. Right? Aisha speeding up to Aisha time. Within that time frame, his sickness became so severe. So severe that he could not what? Could not even get up for the prayer. Could not even lead the, the companions in Salat. It is narrated by Aisha. Right? That he kept on falling unconscious. Right? And the Aisha time came in. So he would wake up and he would say, Aisha, did they pray? He's like, she was like, no, they're waiting for you. Because who's the Imam? Prophet They're waiting for you. So she would be like, she, he would call, tell Aisha, go get me a pot of water so he can do what? So he can make wudu, get ready for the salah. This, look, this guy is, is fainting, sallallahu In and out of unconsciousness. And what's on his mind? So get me a pot of water so I can make wudu. He gets the pot of water, starts making wudu. He falls what? Unconscious again, wakes up, same thing. Did they pray? No, they're waiting for him. Starts making wudu, falls unconscious three times. And then he finally realized how incapable he is. This sickness is coming very, very, very hard on him. Very severe on him. And he says, Ya Isha, Ya Isha, go appoint Abu Bakr to lead the people in Salah. And then Aisha said, I advise you, Rasulullah, that you don't let Abu Bakr do it. Why? Why? He is someone who weeps very easily. He was very soft-hearted. Abu Bakr. Even instances in his, when he was the Khalifa, when he was ruling the Muslims, so many times we say he, they, he was weeping in Salah. And not just weeping, he's trying his best to hold it so no one else is aware. The Quran used to hit this man like this. Of course, if this guy has this much virtue with Allah, of course the Quran has to be affecting this kind of heart like this. So Aisha's just looking up for the companions. He can't hold himself when he reads the Quran. Appoint someone else. You have Umar, you have Uthman, you have Ubay ibn Ka'ab, you have Ali, you have Ibn Mas'ud, these people who are Qur'a. Let someone else do it. And the Prophet says, what, listen to me? Let Abu Bakr do it. Why is he insisting on Abu Bakr to lead? Why? To show the people what? This is the guy that's in charge next. 
The one who leads the salat. This is the imam. This is the leader. Not just the one who has the best voice. This is the one who is the most knowledgeable. The one that people go back to with their affairs. Let Abu Bakr do it. Insist. Yeah, he can be a weep. He can weep all he wants. Let him do it. Show the, the, and the companions knew. That's why there was no discrepancy after his death. They knew it went to him. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Right? So he begins leading the companions in Salah. This is Thursday. Right? Sunday, when we go fast forward to Sunday, the day before his death, sallallahu alayhi wa Right? And that Sunday, he wakes up and he feels what, somewhat better now. He feels somewhat better. And he feels better, but not too much. Right? He feels good enough to join the jama'ah now, to join the congregation. Right? He can't even make it to the congregation on his own. He has to have two men, two sahaba, carrying him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to the salah. And they sit him down. Right? And this was the, the Dhuhr prayer, and they're about to pray the Dhuhr prayer, and they see the Prophet ﷺ finally coming out of his house. He hasn't been out of his house in two, three days. They're so happy. It's like the khushu'ah, the preparation of the salah has left them. They're, and what does Abu Bakr do? He steps back. Abedan. Muhammad ﷺ is here. He's the one that leads. Why? The Prophet ﷺ insists. Insists that he leads. Pay attention here. Who did the Prophet ﷺ lead in Salah about 10, 13 years before this instance? Anyone know? The Prophet ﷺ led all of the messengers and the Prophets in the Salah Ma'raj. This is Sayyidi Walidi Adam and he is the one who led all of the messengers and the Prophets to walk in Salah, in his journey to Salah Ma'raj. Who is leading him in Salah right now? Abu Bakr, Fadli, Izzah. Look at the status of Abu Bakr. Leading the Prophet in Salah. Look how much love. Look how much status. This is how valuable this guy is. Not just in the eyes of Rasulullah, but in the eyes of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Radiallahu anhu Radiallahu This is Abu Bakr Siddiq. So he leads them in Salah. Shortly towards the end of the day, that Sunday, Prophet orders that what? His wealth is distributed. Around seven, dinar. His wealth is distributed, given out to charity. All the slaves he had enslaved, free them. This was his command to Aisha, free them. What is this indicating, brothers? What is this indicating? I'm leaving. All my wealth. The Salihin, the righteous people, they, they didn't leave wealth behind. Most of them were in poverty. They didn't leave wealth behind. Prophet is getting ready for that day. Look, look how he's preparing for his meeting to Allah. He can care less about the dunya. He's doing everything he can to invest, invest in give it all away. Not just for him. Does he need to invest? Does he need to give charity to Allah? Does he need to do this? No. What is he doing? He's teaching us. Prepare. But unfortunately, we don't know when our time is. Right? 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 The soul at the time of death, the first thing they're going to say is, Oh Allah, if you just give me moments, I would have done what? As-Saddaq. I would have given charity. The Prophet is teaching you to do what? Charity. Your wealth is nothing. Invest for that time. Right? So this was that Sunday night. Monday, the morning of his death, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. On that Sunday, Afwan, on that Sunday, the, the companions gather again. Towards the evening time. Right? And the Prophet, sallallahu gives a couple of advices. And we'll mention one of them. He says these words, and he says it again on Monday. Look at his wasiyah. Everything I'm telling you guys. Look at his advice. Look at the words. 
Look at the things he's teaching the companions because he knows he's leaving. So of course, you know you're leaving. You're about to travel, leave your family. You're going, going through a severe sickness. What are the words you're gonna choose with your family? Words of advice, the most what? The things that will benefit them the most. You don't have time to tell them everything. You're gonna go in and suffice with what words? The things that will benefit them the most. That will give them the most what? Virtue, the most assistance. As-salah, as-salah. Advising to the salah. Advising to the salah. Look at his status when he was going in and out of unconsciousness. What was he hastening to do? Wudu, salah. Look, the day he thought he felt better and if still he was in severe sickness. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He's trying to go pray the congregation. He's dragged and it's described that he's picking up, he's picked up by two companions and his feet are dragging like this on the floor. He is so incapable, but what is what? What is the priority? As he says in the hadith, وَجُعِيَتْ قُرَّةُ عَيْنِ فِيْشْ فِي الصَّلَاةِ In the coolest to my eyes is in what? As-salah, as-salah, as-salah. Less than 24 hours before he leaves, Monday morning arises, the companions are about to pray, and they're in Salat al-Fajr. They're in Salat al-Fajr, and the curtains of his house open. And the Prophet looks at his companions, and he sees them all in sufuf, all in lines. Abu Bakr leaving him in Salah. The Prophet had no choice but to what? He smiles. He smiles. This is from the last times, this is the last time he saw his companions. And the last thing that he saw, and it brought joy to his heart, was them doing what? They're united. They're together. And they're doing what? Salah. In the depths of his sickness, this made him happy. He smiled. He smiled. They realized he opened the curtain. It is narrated by Anas that we feared that our was going to leave. Because we saw the curtains opening. We heard the curtains opening. And that we thought, what? Oh, he's feeling better. And they thought he was going to come, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They thought the khushu' was going to leave. Look at the, the love these people had for him. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wallahi, wallahi, they understood what he brought. Wallahi, they understood what he brought. And this is why Abu Bakr is saying, فَدَيْنَاكَ بِأَرْوَاحِهِ فَدَيْنَاكَ بِأُمَّهَاتِ وَأَبَائِهِ We will sacrifice our family, our souls for you. Because they knew they brought something to his life, to their lives, that no one else would have ever brought. So this is moments before his death. Fajr uncovers the curtain and goes back into his room. Later on in the day, Abu Bakr asked the Prophet to go visit his wife, and his wife is on the outskirts of Medina. So he asked to be excused. It seems like he's feeling better, right? Or else he wouldn't have excused himself, Abu Bakr. Right? He's feeling better, right? So he was excused. He goes and what? And he visits his wife. He's outside of the, the perimeter of what? Masjid al More moments, inshallah ta'ala. So the daytime comes in after Fajr, post shuruq, duha time. And he's with Aisha radiallahu anha in his house. And there's a lot of things going on. You're just now moments away from his death, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Prophet calls Fatima. Who's Fatima to the Prophet? His daughter. Pay attention to the baby, he calls into his room. Calls Fatima radiallahu anha. And he whispers to her ear. And she starts crying. And then he whispers again in her ear, and then she starts laughing. So who's in the room whilst this is going on? The Prophet Fatima who? Aisha. So Aisha is confused. So immediately she says, Fatima, what did he tell you? He started crying and the moment she started laughing. 
right? And she, if this was something to be propagated, you think the Prophet would have whispered to her ear? No. She understood that this was supposed to be between her and him. So at that moment, she didn't talk, she didn't notify. She didn't notify him. Notify Aisha what he, what, what she, what he said to Allah. The Prophet mentioned to Fatima. The first time he whispered to her, he says, and he mentions that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna come out of this sickness. In other words, I'm going to what? I'm going to pass away. So she starts crying. This is her father. This is the last of her, his children that are alive. Fatima Right? She starts crying. Then the Prophet calls her again and whispers in her ear one more time, and he says, "But verily, you are from the next people to meet me." In other words, what's he saying? That you're the next one to leave. You're the next one to pass away. And she started laughing. She was smiling. She was happy. Why? What better news than to know I'm returning back to Allah and you give me an indirect glad tiding that we're going to meet? What does that mean about her? She's from people of Jannah. She could care less about this. Man ahabba liqa Allah, ahabba Allah Whoever loves to meet his Lord, Allah will love to meet them. That's why she had no stress. Look how the Prophet brought what brought her out of the state of depression and sadness and grief, right? This was not mentioned until after he died, Salah right? So he called Fatima. This happened. He calls Al Hassan al Hussein. Who was Al Hassan al Hussein to the Prophet? He's calling his household, right? And this shows the Fadila and the Bayt. This shows us the, how much virtue the household of the Prophet had. Because these are the only people that were able to see him before he passed. Because Hassan and Hussein, he kisses them. Right? And he advised the people around him to take care of them. Because another hadith, he, he mentioned that what? One of them will have an opening, they'll open up land, and mentions that both of them are there. They are the Sayyids. They are from the people who are like the rulers or the kings of the youth in what? In the year after, in Jannah. So he tells the people there, take care of Hassan Hussein. Take care of Hassan Hussein. Hassan calls his wives, right? And they all see the state that he's in. They all see the state that he's in and he advises them over Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? He's giving his farewell khalas. It's moments, right? He sees the people closest to him, giving them the final what? Advice, and his advice is what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reminding of Allah. Stay on your religion, practice your deen, remember you will meet your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, be well amongst one another, etc. This is advice to his household, and this is the last thing that he utters in their presence. They leave. They leave. And the Prophet ﷺ is lying in the chest of Aisha. Right? And Aisha, as she's narrating, most of this is coming from the narration of Aisha. As she's narrating this, she mentions and she says that, Wallahi, I am from the most virtuous people. Why? Because not only did the Prophet ﷺ pass away on my chest, but the last thing to enter his mouth was my saliva. How Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr comes into the room. Like, oh, oh, why am I mentioning all this? Seems like a lot of detail. We could have just said, oh, this is how he died, Salah All of this, there's a reason behind this. Like, look at the man, look at this man, Salah Learn about the one who you're supposed to love. Look how he's acting when he's leaving. Look how the people around him were. Abdurrahman, the son of Abu Bakr, comes in. Which is, how, who's, Abu, who's Abdurrahman to Aisha? Her brother. And... She notices that Abdurrahman has a swak in his hand. He has a swak in his hand, right? And Aisha knew the Prophet better than anyone else. 
She knew that he loved the siwak. She knew that he loved what? A siwak. So she grabs the siwak from Abdurrahman. She holds the siwak. And you know the siwak, she grabs the other side of it. Right? The other side is dry. The siwak, before you start using it, what do you need to do? You need to moisten it. You moisturize it. You, know, you have to put it in your mouth. You dip it in some water so it softens so you can use it. Right? So she puts it in her mouth, starts biting it, preparing it for the process and to use it. Right? And the Muslim didn't utter a word. He walked in, Abdurrahman, he was using the suwak, she merely saw his glance to him. Look, he's in Sakharat and Bawd, right? And he sees the suwak. And he starts, what? Joy enters him, sallallahu alayhi wa And she saw that joy, she grabbed the suwak, prepared it for him, and that was the last thing that entered his mouth, sallallahu alayhi wa Why does she narrate this? Some of you may seem this is absurd. Why? This is how much they loved this man. Not just they loved him, but there was a reason why they loved him, how virtuous he was. She felt there was a need to tell the people and show the people what? I was the, I was the closest thing to him when he died. He was in my lap. My salah was the last thing that entered his mouth. They felt the need to say this because they knew how virtuous he was. So this is the last thing that enters his mouth. And he's lying on her chest. And the Prophet is looking up. He's looking up. And he points up to the sky. And he says, Saying, look. With the ones that you have given blessing to, Ya Allah. With the ones that you have given virtue to. With the prophets, with the martyrs, with the right, righteous ones. With them, Ya Allah. Allahumma bi rafiq al-a'la. Allahumma rafiq al-hukir this man, sallallahu alayhi wa And I realized that he was given the choice between the dunya and the akhirah, and he just now choosing what? The akhirah. Allahumma rafiq al-a'la. Oh Allah, the highest of companions. Oh Allah, the highest of guardians. Oh Allah, the highest of gatherings. This is what he's saying, uttering, Allahumma rafiq al-a'la. Undur. Imagine you are from those who are saying these words before you leave. Oh Allah, I choose you. Oh Allah, I choose you. You think it's easy to be, these are from the last words you're saying. So she realized that his what? His time is coming to an end. Right? She realized his time is coming to an end and he keeps on repeating, Inna lil mawti sakarat. Khalas. The sickness is getting severe. Death is approaching, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He's saying, Inna lil mawti sakarat. This is the Prophet. If anyone was to be saved from these final moments, the severity of these moments, who would have been? Verily, there is punishment, there is agony with the death, with the moments of death. He's uttering these words. And he lays in between the lap and the chest of Aisha. Until his soul was taken and returned back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this was the greatest calamity, my beloved brothers and sisters, that ever befell the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu His soul left. Look at the reaction of the companions. Khalas, inqata'il wahi. The wahi is cut off. The wahi is cut off. There's no more speech of Allah. This man who sent us a rahmah to mankind is gone. This man who had so the relationship he built with these people is gone. Khalas. Look at Ali radiallahu anhu couldn't walk when he heard this news. When Uthman heard it, could not speak, Umar heard this news, and he says, by Allah, whoever says that the Prophet passed away, wallahi, I will behead them. And for indeed, he's a munafiq, he's a hypocrite. Look how severe. They, couldn't, they did not want to believe this news. They did not want to believe this news. 
to the point where he's saying it's barely he only left to meet his Lord just like Musa went and met his Lord. Remember when Musa met his Lord? Musa. That's what happened. See, oh, that's all that happened. He went to go meet his Lord. He did not die. He didn't want to accept it. On the journey that Abu Bakr was on, we just said that what? Before his death, he asked to get permission to leave. Sah. On his journey returning back, he hears this news. And it's reported that he's on his camel, right? And he stops and he's in a state of shock. He makes his way back to Medina, right? After what we just heard about Abu Bakr, who do you think would have been in the most severe state other than Aisha? Who do you think? Abu Bakr. Look at how Allah gives this man thabat and quwa, right? If you know just a glimpse of the seal and the relationship of Abu Bakr and Muhammad وسلم, you would have assumed that this man would have not been able to contain it. So he makes it back to Medina. He hears the news. At that time, everyone's outside of his house. No one's allowed and permitted inside. Abu Bakr comes, who's permitted inside? Abu Bakr. He goes in. He says, Ya Muhammad, Ya Nabi Allah, Ya Muhammad, he's what? My beloved, my Muhammad, oh the Messenger of Allah, oh the Prophet of Allah. He, 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 now he has seen this news is true. He has passed away. So he what? He kisses his head. He says, He said, You lived in a state of purity from the purest of people. And you passed away from the purest of people. This is what he says to him. And look at the thabat that Abu Bakr has. He walks out. He walks out, and the strength he has, no, style, no, no, no grief on his face, nothing. So Umar hears this ayah, Abu Bakr comes out and he says, after you see the death of the Prophet he says, whomever used to worship Muhammad, did any of them worship Muhammad? Whomever used to worship Muhammad, really Muhammad has what? He passed away. To go ahead and give emphasis, he's gone. خلاص. What you've been hearing is true. Whoever used to worship Allah, he is the all-living, subhanahu wa ta'ala, he does not die. Then he read this ayah that was revealed. Who knows when this ayah in Al-Imran was revealed? And Muhammad is nothing but a messenger. A messenger, just like the messengers who came in the past. If you were to pass away, or be killed, will you turn back on your heels? When he passes away? When was this verse revealed? Anyone know? Uhud. What happened to the Prophet in Uhud? They thought he passed away. His head was struck. And the people used to say, Muhammad Mat. The Prophet they thought he what? He passed away. So Allah revealed this ayah. As what? Preparing them. Okay, what if he did pass away? Are you going to turn back on your heels? So look at the eloquency and the, look at the eloquency of Abu Bakr Look at the balagha of Abu Bakr Look at his eloquency. He decided to recite this verse. He sees the state of the companions. So he says what? Are you going to turn back on your heels? And then Umar ibn Khattab, he realizes at that moment that what? That he really did pass away. And he says that it is as if I did not hear that verse ever before until I heard it now. It's as if it was revealed to me at that time. Because they didn't understand the magnitude of this verse until they were in the state where he what? Where he passed away. He says, Verily Medina was the brightest of cities. 
when the Prophet entered it and approached the Ansar. And once he passed away, he became the gloomiest of cities. Kana Noor, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Fattabi'u Noor, ladhi anzala ma'ah. Kana Noor, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was bright. In some narration, his face, when he would, when he would smile, it was like they saw a portion of the, of the moon. Kana Noor, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? And look at the quwa of Abu Bakr, how he's preparing. And Qala Anas, Anas also narrates another hadith. Right? That, khatabna, khatabana, نعم خطبنا أبو بكر رضي الله عنه ونحن كالثعال right أبو بكر at this instance where they're bringing the Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام we were like foxes our our affairs were dispersed we were we could not even hold our own ولكن شجعنا أبو بكر but أبو بكر رضي الله عنه he motivated us and he strengthened us حتى أصبحنا أسود until we turned and became lions and if you read the seerah of this Khalifa when he was the Khalifa, look how he turned the Muslims in those six months. Look how the companions were. Look at the, the progress that happened. This is the death of the Prophet The greatest calamity to befall this woman. In Qata' al-Wahi, revelation was cut. The mercy of mankind has left the worldly life. The man who used to bright up the lives of people is now passed away underground. The man who these people loved more than their own selves has passed away. This is why. This is why. This is the greatest calamity to befall the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yajma'na fi hawli sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yajma'na mimi yaltazimu ala sunnatihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yajma'na rubmin wa faqaihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi ala jannat al-na'een. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to gather us with him and to make us from those who hold on to his sunnah verily this is the way to be gathered with him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and to make us from those resurrected with him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi wa sallallahu sallam ala nabiya muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahabihi jumayin jazakum allah khairan for killers for prolonging